got the, have you ever seen the Who play? No. No. I always got the feeling that Roger Daltrey was you know he does the mic thing, swings the mic yeah. around. And I mean that's just to compensate for the fact that, that the guitar player is more going on than him, right? <laughs> I mean he's 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 the front man, so he had to come up with his his own thing. Yeah, I think that's probably a pretty good uh pretty good guess. I mean that's but, going on. He was like, Oh yeah. What do you got over there, Pete? You got a little windmill yeah. strum thing? All right. Well, I got a little uh, fucking lasso situation here. Like, what's the exact analog I can yeah. do yeah, with what right. I have on stage? Right. <laughs> Let's see. Uh, it looked pretty silly just swinging this arm around in a circular fashion because there's nothing in it. This one, however, has mm-hmm. a mic in it. Yeah, it's probably about... Probably about, you know, I have a small obsession sometimes actually at live shows, of, like, especially big concerts. I love watching what front men do yeah. during solos. Because, like, growing up, listening to. Like when to somebody the, else has a spotlight yeah, for a yeah, yeah, exactly. That's a beautiful insight yeah. <laughs> to lead singers right there. And they're like, <clears throat> all right, then go walk over here. And just for a minute, you're like, yeah, right now, right now, you're just a guy walking over to that amp to have a drink of water and kind of like adjust your pants for a second like pull the waist up a little bit okay now you're back to being iconic now you're back in the front the solo's over it's very it's like an interesting that's my that's my uh that's my rock documentary it's just all it is is uh a thousand live shows of big bands two-minute clips of what the singer's going to do while they're not in the spotlight maybe it's, and the solo's going on. I mean, maybe you combine that, because years ago, I don't know why all of a sudden I'm on a classic rock fix, but this comes to mind. Um, uh, God, uh, I don't know, maybe 15 years ago, I, uh, I went to go see Tom Petty with my father at the Shoreline Amphitheater in Mountain View, California. Hmm. And I've seen a bunch of shows there. That's yeah, a good place. To it see is a, a good show. place to see shows. And, and good he, memories. And, and and at one point, um, Tom Petty leaves the stage while the band plays an instrumental, which you know at first is kind of he's a guitar player. He could he could join in if he wanted to, but clearly he's going back to do something. Well, you know, there's a lot there's a lot more to being on the road, Brian, than just playing a show. <laughs> you know, he's he's probably going back into the production office. And, you know, making sure that lodging is booked for the okay. next city. He's calling ahead. He's calling ahead. He's uh, he's balancing some different receipts. Yeah. He wants to look at what the merch has done in the first half of the show. You know, see if he can get any of those numbers. I would love to see and when... And he just wants to organize stuff. You know, he just wants to get shit in order. You know, like, why are the waters over here? Like, hang on. You know, let me put this over here and clean up these... Let's straighten up the magazines and stuff here. There we go. And then he, and then he's like, ah, everything's looking good for the show. I'm going to go back out and uh, finish rocking this, I think. Well, can we combine these two things? And when the guitar player plays a solo, he pulls out the adding machine. I frankly think that's a smoother way to run a large show for a big band. Yeah. You know, is to you got all that stuff happening backstage. Mm-hmm. You got a lead singer who's not doing anything for about a minute and a half <laughs> just standing there you know any chance you can uh, you can make sure we got you know parking permits for the next city while he's playing the solo sure or you the know. deli spread is yeah. all taken care of backstage whatever the situation yeah. you know so you know it's just a better use of time 
So, and you look good. You look focused. Yeah. You know, as as opposed to just kind of wandering around on stage, like, oh, what the fuck? With should your I little do right old man, it's a little bifocals weird. on. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, you would have to put on, you would have to put on your yeah reading glasses and stuff. That takes away a little bit from the mystique. So, so I I, I emailed you and and said that I you know I wanted to to talk about the the moth. Um, yeah, and frankly, I'm I'm. I'm glad that you check out, you know, because I responded to an email and it only occurred to me now that I could be in a van, uh, you know, with like duct tape around my <laughs> mouth and eyes. We were in a well-lit location. We're, we're in, in a, a public safe place. area. You are who you said you would be. Yeah. And, um, and you, have, uh, you have a lot of recording equipment. <laughs> so I, this is all checking out and I feel safe. Meanwhile... There's a guy taped up in the bathroom right now. Exactly. <laughs> Your first yeah. quote-unquote interview subject. Um, you know, and, and it's funny. I think you're, you may be the only person that I've ever set up an interview with who um, not only sent me a paragraph-long... Um, I, you know, I, I guess you, you sort of you, you downplayed your role a little bit in the first paragraph, and then you, then you sent me a resume... Yeah, that's me. Fucking business mode. I'm getting ready to go do some shows. So, like, the sexy part of getting ready to go do a bunch of shows is that there are people from, like, uh, local papers and stuff, you know, that set up interviews. And they all, I just always think of, you know, I, I always think of, like, when I worked in the record business and uh, when I've produced projects, like, like everybody like I just always anytime I'd be dealing with a band or with a band's manager when I worked at a record label anybody who like sent me the stuff I needed to do my job I was just yeah. like fucking thank you you know it was just yeah. like yeah. it was like if it was an artist or a band and it was like hey we want to we want to shoot you guys before the show for you know whatever EPK or something like that at the time and uh you know, like the band or management that got back to me that just was like, here, here's like, you know, here's the 10 things that, that, you know, we've done lately. And here's the, you know, four things that, yeah. as opposed to like this weird game of like everybody kind of doing guesswork, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're supposed to, you know, as a reporter <laughs> and technically, yeah, like, yeah sit down and act like you don't know the biggest thing that this band has done and the band's going to act like it's such a wonderful discovery for you when they tell you about the recent you know album or tour or whatever like it, it's a, it's a kind of funny dance so these days I don't know when I do interviews these days I'm just like sure sounds great six o'clock here's the ten things that have been happening lately well you'll, you'll appreciate this actually on that, that note of kind of asking the same question over and over again which actually we were talking about before we turned the mics off. Um, I just interviewed uh, uh, Richard Hell a week or two ago, mm-hmm. and he <laughs> never had never had uh, somebody say this to me. But I, I, I asked him. I can't even remember what the question was. I think I asked him about the neighborhood because he lives in Alphabet City, uh-huh. and you know he's, he'd been in the same place for about twenty two years. So I asked him how you know, how the neighborhood has changed. He told me to Google it. <laughs> You know, fair, you know, fair enough. Of, that is uh, that is the most updated version of a <laughs> punk rock answer yeah. I've ever heard. Yeah. Hey, why don't you tell me a little bit about uh, like how how you've seen New York change? Oh, how it's changed. Why don't you Google how it's changed? Oh, 
Uh, okay, well, I will. I think it was more, why don't you Google somebody else asking me the question because everybody has asked me that question. Oh, I got it. Yeah. I thought it was literally like no, not even a level yeah. a level more yeah. like go to Google Maps. Yeah. You want to see how it's changed? Yeah. I'm going to give you a site that documents that, dude. Um but yeah, and then I don't know, and then the uh, yeah, then I guess my email reply to you about <clears throat> yeah, I'm always really careful not to overstate my yeah. role in the moth just because I don't I'm literally just a guy who, um, <clears throat> you know, 14 years ago or whatever, thought I would leave my apartment for a night, which was a real big challenge at the time. Um, In New York. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, did a show with them, and, and they 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 really, at a time when I didn't, I suddenly didn't have a girlfriend. I suddenly didn't have any furniture. I suddenly didn't have a job, and I had suddenly stopped drinking. Um, let, let, let's. They how many of those like, things are related to one another? I, I assume that the furniture and the girlfriend are directly related. Well, there's a causal relationship between all of them. Yeah. But, uh, um, yeah, the girlfriend had most of the furniture. <laughs> I still had like a crate and barrel lamp, I think. <clears throat> you know. But, um, so yeah, I just, I started hanging out with those guys and doing shows and, yeah. and it's just kind of been the thing that saved my ass in New York and became my family and became my kind of community. But, you know, I've been doing it for so long and, and, uh, I think it's easy for, you know, doing interview or doing interviews like, um, you know, it's easy to think that I've got some huge hand in it but I didn't start it and I don't direct our shows um, Maggie Sino is a great director um, Meg Bowles is a great curator Catherine Burns is a wonderful executive creative director all those people are the people that are really making you know those shows happen and more more than that more than any of us it's the people that are telling stories that's really the that's really the heart of it you know you know, but you, well, face isn't the right word, but you end up having to be sort of a spokesperson. You're, you're the voice, in a way, of at least the podcast. I am, the, that is actually, I think what I'm going to put on my business mm-hmm. card. The voice, at least, of the podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, well, yeah, you do, you know, sure. You end up, you know, you end up, um, yeah, hanging around a thing. Uh, in a place and doing stuff long enough with certain group of people, then you all kind of become, you all kind of become each other's, you know, representatives, right? Yeah. Like you kind of, you end up being each other's uh, spokespeople, I guess. You know, what um, what was the moth like fourteen years ago? Well, I just remember my first show. You know, I actually. I started dating a girl. Um, she showed up at my apartment that had no furniture, which I slowly started explaining to her. I think at first I just tried to say because it keeps me focused on trying to become a writer. Feng shui. Yeah. It was like, no, this is just really spiritually intense. Trust me. But um, she had a postcard for this thing called The Moth. Mm. And uh, this was like in 99 or 2000, I guess. Probably just turned 2000 or maybe it was 99. 
I don't know. I guess it doesn't matter. But uh, Before everything changed. <laughs> yes, before everything <laughs> changed. And uh, she had a postcard for this thing called The Moth, which is at the time it was going to be a show up at this club that used to be on 14th Street called Nell's. Mm. And she said, do you want to go do this? And I said, oh, you know, sure. Let's, you know, let's go check that out. You know, I wonder what it's like or what it is or whatever. And we walked in and uh, these people telling these amazing stories, you know, some of them were moving and kind of heartbreaking and some of them were f- really funny mm. and everywhere in between and then the host gets up on stage and is just killing it being totally hilarious and it's tony hendra and i'm like oh my god that's ian faith from spinal tap <laughs> and i was like holy shit how do we let's get let's how do we sign up for this or whatever you know how, how do we these like people become my friends yeah yeah, yeah. how do we like this is great because it's not really stand-up comedy. I'm a huge fan of stand-up comedy, but I've never really found a place or been comfortable in the culture that surrounds stand-up comedy, mm. the clubs and all of that stuff. I mean, I, I love it as a fan, and I, you know, I totally have a fantasy version of what yeah. that club culture would be like. But in real life, I'm always scared of it, and it seems a little... Uh, I don't know. It, it, to me, I just feel like an outsider around I mean, all you're this somebody, stuff. Clearly, you're somebody who's capable of standing up in front of an audience and talking. I, saying I, funny things into a microphone. I say a lot of funny things into microphones in front of a lot of crowds. So, you know, but I've never... I, it's weird. You end up in this, like... I've ended up in this kind of funny life where it's like... there's uh, My favorite stand-ups on the planet probably don't wouldn't know me from Adam, I'm sure... Yeah. You know, I've been watching guys like Todd Berry and um, Patrick Borelli when he was doing a lot more stand-up. And, um, of course, Mark Marin when he used to host at Luna. And, um, you know, watching all those people for, God, I don't know, 15, 16 years, you know, 17 years, something like that. And, you know, um, but I don't fit into any of that stuff. And, yeah. and uh, you know, I do like two stand-up shows a year. Me and Ophira Eisenberg will usually book a night at Union Hall or something like that. And uh, I do a couple shows every summer out in Portland, Oregon, with my friend Frayne, who has she produces for the Moth, and she mm-hmm. also has a show called Back Fence PDX. And uh, every summer, her and I just do a couple of like kind of stand-up. Mm-hmm shows and um with lots of guests and it's really fun night and there's some reading there's some stand-up there's some everything but that's kind of all i do and then aside from that i have this like secret double life where you go out you know i go out and and um and do uh these nights with the moth you know anywhere from 700 to 3000 in theaters you know um and so yeah, I have this weird life where <laughs> I say funny things into microphones in front of large crowds in theaters, but um, it's also kind of cool because the moth is bigger than any of us, so mm. you just kind of have this secret little magic life. Like you go about your, me and Maggie um, Sino, one of the directors at the moth, who's just great, uh, have this thing where it's like yeah you just kind of go about your everyday life in new york and then all of a sudden you know the phone rings and it's time to kind of take 
the little box down off the shelf and your little mm. magic life opens up for like you know however many however many dates and however many places you know and then you get back off the road and then you just go about your little normal life it's like you know so there's no there's no there's no rhyme or reason to it it, it you literally get a phone call and then get on the road yeah i feel like everything i've done has kind of been like that yeah. i mean it's probably mostly because uh uh, I have mental problems, but, uh, you know, I feel everything I've done, whether it was magazine writing or or live stuff with the moth or live stuff, um, you know, on the West Coast with Frayne and Back Fence or um, the Risk Show or whatever. It's never I never have a grand plan. I have not planned anything. Mm. I mean, I'm starting to realize as a grown man that maybe I should have, you know, it, it's occurred to me like, oh, that's what people do. They make yeah. goals and go, I want to try this. I want to do that. But, um, you know, and I've worked super, super hard and none of it's easy, like to get good and to, and to, you know, keep writing, you know, keep doing all that stuff, um, is never easy, but, um, I've never had a big career sort of plan if i had i'm sure i'd be a lot further ahead but yeah basically it's like you know get an email um right after you emailed me yesterday i think i got an email from maggie that just said buy him theater pittsburgh august 27th and i said i'm in it's like all right and then in my mind i just go okay so that's the buy him theater in pittsburgh on the 27th with the moth and then bumbershoot in seattle and then i think before that i'll just go up up the coast and try to do something in Portland you know like I don't really I don't know I've never I've never been one of those guys with a, a real plan and a real a real a real uh, direction and super duper way of doing all of this but, but they're they're doing Pittsburgh whether or not you're able to go is that oh yeah if, if the show goes oh, on oh yeah totally yeah. it's it's the moth that's the thing that that like I love about it really is it's bigger than everybody involved with it you know if I go no I don't feel like going to Pittsburgh yeah. it's not like anyone's going to go oh god quick you know call the theater and unbook it you know let's go like oh okay well let's see who wants to go on the road you know maybe well, there's like five or six hosts you know mm -hmm. and just kind of we just kind of reach out see who's got a schedule see who wants to go out see who doesn't want to go out you know and uh I don't know, it's all very, it's all, it's all super, super lo-fi and relaxed on my end anyway. But at some point they must have been looking for somebody to be sort of, you know, again, what, what do we say? Kind of sort of like the voice or whatever. That oh, well, I mean, <clears throat> listen, you know, Sarah Haberman and Catherine Burns mm -hmm. and everybody, you know, who runs the moth are really smart people yeah. who are really aware of how to do all of this stuff correctly. And I'm a guy that, you know, I go to the office when there's a party or, <laughs> you know, I go to the office when, uh, I left something at a show and someone brought it back, you know, for me, my glasses or whatever. And those people are there all the time and yeah. they're the real brains behind how to, how to do things responsibly and how to make things happen properly and how to, how to grow at a rate that doesn't, you know, uh, make you implode and all of those wonderful things. I, I, me, I just keep it really simple. You know, yeah. do I have an idea for a book? Yes, I do. Okay. I'll email my agent, you know, do I want to go out and do some shows? Yes, I do. All right. 
let's see what's going on over at the office, you know. So, so let, 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 let's back up a second um, to that, that, that first show, you know, 14, 15 years ago. It's been a terrible way to plan my life, by the way. <laughs> I, didn't I, mean, sell it. I didn't want to sell it as a Zen solution no, to anybody it, listening it, who's like, man, you know what? I'm going to do that. I mean, you can. It is very pleasurable and a lot of fun, but yeah. you do end up looking up at a certain point and go, Ah, uh, you know what? I think everyone has been uh, planning yeah. things for themselves over the last twenty years. Yeah, I should try that uh, again. Again, I I email you yesterday, and you send me this sort of, you know, this almost almost this list of accomplishments, and it looks collectively it looks it looks pretty good. I've done a lot. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, you can't say it hasn't worked out. No, it's a little bit of a ruse. I mean, it's a little bit of a shtick to say like oh i'm this dude i just chill on the couch and wait for somebody to say do you want to go on the road or do you want to write a book i mean that's totally work my ass off yeah you know i just um i'm just really not um i'm not really uh much of a of a i don't feel like i have skills in the area of self-promotion or planning Mm. stuff or really setting a goal and and driving it but then again i whatever i do but you're you know. you're thinking i mean you're thinking generally one project ahead and not two i mean you're thinking of the next thing yeah i think so yeah and i'm also aware that you know there's just a lot of stuff that you can't control and there's a lot of stuff that you can't do in the in the work that we all do whether that's writing or or doing a podcast or doing live stuff on stage i mean you know if it if it really i don't know if it really makes you feel good to go to five parties where you're convinced you're going to bump into the right person mm-hmm. who's going to lead to the right project then i guess do it but i just think that's an exhausting way to live you know i mean i've i used to think that being driven was you know being absurdly sort of hyper in my head and thinking of a million things at once starting five things and never finishing one mm-hmm. you know i used to think that was being driven and that meant i was ambitious but i think now i look at drive as like well can you can you not get distracted by all that stuff Mm. can you not get distracted by thinking if you just go do this one thing socially then you'll be able to talk to so and so and then maybe you could work on an idea for like can you not get distracted by all that get a good night's sleep wake up make your bed go in and do 20 good pages, you know, or do um, five good ideas for something you want to do on stage or, you know, something like that. Like it's a much sort of calmer focus and drive, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I've done a lot of stuff and I know what I'm, I know that I am doing it. (laughs) I know that I've wanted to do it. So I I think you have done. Yeah. Yeah. uh, But I tend to see these people who are very like, you know, self promotion oriented and very like uh, extroverted and, and aggressive about their agenda and constantly emailing people and going, can you tweet about my thing? And can you blah, blah, blah. And that stuff I'm just, uh, I'm not super great at, you know, I don't, I mean, I don't really do it. Sometimes I feel bad because people will tweet at you and go, what? I was just, you know, driving home from work and I heard on the radio that you're doing a book thing in town or whatever, you know, would have been nice to go to or something. And then you kind of think like, yeah, I should get a little better about doing that stuff. But I don't know. I, I, uh, you know, 
I come from a working class family too, where it's like, just do some work, man. I mean, again, though, you sent you you sent me a, a paragraph by way of explanation of your involvement with the moth, and then you sent me six links to uh, reviews of your various books. So, so yeah, you, you know, you do have you have more of a promotional drive than than most of the people I set interviews up with. I mean, I, oh, good, I, you know. It, I, I guess I, I guess the difference is a lot of them have people they can just sort of push it off on. Yeah, I mean, and that's terrible. Like, I never, I never involve my agent or manager in anything because I <laughs> like, like this is like just collect your money. This is such a, this is such a like career, you know, like anti-career interview or something. I don't know really what it is, but but we'll figure that out by the end. Yeah, like usually, generally, when I come to my like. If I come to my agent, like there, it's usually like, okay, I got this thing to a point to where I've been working on it mm. for three years, and you know these three people have expressed interest in it. Do you want to make this official and go to them? You know, um, so I generally don't involve them in a ton of stuff. And like I said, I just think it's, I don't know. I guess there's a more, there's a more sort of like. <laughs> like precious way of going oh sure I'd love to do an interview here's what you should do email the office yeah. or you know email Sean ask him for the reviews on my last book and blah 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 you know and it's like that all seems a little f- funny to me it's like yeah. really what are you sitting in front of right now a sewing machine I think that's a laptop you're probably replying to me from you know like can you not send me like a New York Times link and a few interviews and yeah. give me an idea of, you know, what's going on lately. These ideas that, you know, when you said you've been working on something for three years, I don't know if that was a little bit of hyperbole, but... Um, I it mean, was. It, My last book took ten. <laughs> so, so, I mean, you know, but are you... You're, you're sitting there working on a book for a while and then you approach your agent and say, hey, let's try to sell this book. Is that... That's what I'm with the last one, yeah. It was funny. The last one was like, yeah, it was basically that. I started it in 2000, I think I started it in 2003 when my very first book came out. Mm -hmm. I wrote like 20 pages of this idea in a hotel on book tour, and I was like, oh, that's kind of a sweet idea. That's weird. Like That's a weird intro. I don't even know where that came from. And then I instantly got intimidated by it. I was like, there's no way... Like, just the inventory yeah. in the beginning of this story, there's positively no way I can live up to an arc for completing this character's mm. journey. Like, And so I was like, yeah, that is kind of intimidating. Put that away quickly in a folder. And then I set it aside to do what ended up being my second book, which is about working in the record business by accident. And um, then after that book was out and went out and supported it and did all that stuff and it cooled off I came back to the original idea that I started in 2003 so now it's five years later and I'm like let's look at this thing again and hmm. so it's like lots of starts and stops but then I finally finished it in like 2012 I guess you know I finally like <clears throat> and then you do you know I did I, I remember I did uh, 20,000 words of it and uh, there was just something not working, yeah. you know? Like, I let, like, the couple people that I let read that stuff that are cool enough to read stuff and still, you know, not go, like, we're adults now. I have a life, mm-hmm. dude. I can't read your thing. Um, and they were like, yeah, it's, like, 
it's not quite whatever is happening. And then, um, and then my girlfriend had a suggestion that just set the whole thing. Hmm. She was like, you know, you should kind of basically mix, see if you can mix that third person thing you're doing and that first person thing to sort of this free and indirect style, you know? And I was like, oh, so then you're sitting there with 20,000 words and it's like, all right, scrap that. Now let's rewrite those 20,000 words with this new lens and see if it unlocks things. And it does. And then so you go, all right, this is the year I finish it. This thing's unlocked and it's flowing. And and I and oddly, it was also like, well, and a decade's gone by and I now have some of the life experience to back up yeah. this character with some, you know, some believability as opposed to being, <laughs> you know a guy who's clearly just trying to telegraph what that character must be going through. You you make it sound easy to throw out 20,000 words. None of this stuff's easy. As a matter of fact, like I said in an, I said in an interview once, like some sort of smart ass answer was where I was like, writer's block, give me a break. This isn't back breaking work that we do, blah, blah, blah. Digging ditches. Like, you know, clockwork just bit me in the ass. (laughs) It was like, Oh really? Here you go. Struggle with this for a decade, dude. Yeah. Um, so it's all, none of it's easy. And I'm working on um, a screenplay right now that, you know, took off really quickly. And it's like first and second draft and got a ton of attention um, out west with a couple people that I gave to read it. And uh, now I'm on like draft, uh, I'm starting draft 16 this week of that, you know. So I have to work really, really hard at all of it. Yeah. Yeah. Let, let, let's actually let's let's talk about the storytelling thing because I, I mean, I'm 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 very curious about that and I, um, I'm somebody who's I have, I have no problem standing up in front of people and just sort of speaking off the cuff but I, I it's it's like it's like anything else I was, I was thinking of this when you were talking about um, starting to to write a story and I, I sort of you know I had the thought in my head that. Um, you know, I mean, they tell you that if in order to become a writer, you've got to obviously you've got to read a lot. But at the same time, if you're really, if you're reading really great things all the time, I mean, maybe that's kind of a handicap, right? I mean, that's that's what makes it really difficult to get that first push is the realization that, um, you know, the realization that you're not James Joyce right yeah. off the bat, yeah. and that maybe maybe you won't be able to do it. And and this is. You know, me, me me sitting there listening to the, the 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 moth on my headphones, and obviously listening to the best of the best. I mean, that's who makes it on the podcast. It 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 feels like this incredibly difficult bar because every single person you hear is so good at it. Well, that's kind of the funny thing about all this, and I and I I know what you're saying about you know. I've said this before, but basically the best way to get really good at something is is to allow yourself to be an amateur, mm-hmm. you know, and in a weird way to stay an amateur. Like, mm. I've met a lot of people who are like, no, I've done this before. I know what I'm doing. And it's like, it always amazes me how, like, a lot of people are pretty closed off to learning new stuff mm. that way because they're like, you know, I killed once with this thing. I'm going to do it. Don't worry. You know, um, I used to feel that way about songs. Like I'm a total failed, failed musician, you know? Um, and I used to think that way about songs. I would write like a first verse in like a hook or a chorus. And I would just be like, I knew I listened to so much music growing up that I was like, I can give you 
14 better versions of that song, <laughs> you know, that are that are already out there and that but here's the thing that that we have to allow ourselves to do is the second you take the first step, you'll be surprised at how much you end up being like the stuff that you thought was so far out of reach. Mm. You know what I mean? Because none of this stuff happens alone. And this is what I want to talk with Joshua Wolf Shank about when we're we're lining up this in conversation thing to support his um, that book, his new book called The Power of Twos, The Powers of Two. And it's basically about how the myth of the sole creative person mm running solo out there as a you know a lone wolf icon on the horizon who steps up to a mic and crushes it or you know sits down to type and crushes it or makes the movie makes the screenplay and just nails it it's a myth and in some ways it's a very american myth it's a total american myth and you know this is the thing that that i want to talk with josh about too when when i sit down with him um for the moth is that you know there's one name on the cover and to me that's just hilarious when it comes to writing a book because at the very minimum it's a collaboration with two people you know you and your editor and at at most sometimes the copy editor is bringing in awesome ideas you know sometimes the assistant editor had something that really unlocks the problem with sometimes your girlfriend sometimes your girlfriend goes change lenses dude and this thing will flow you know and you're like oh my god and i'd be lost without every single one of those people and the same is true um i'm seeing it now with screenplay stuff Mm. you know it's like um well I, i i did this it's really awesome. It's really good, I think. Maybe. Let's see what happens. And then you start working with like a producer and a director that you like, that have done films that you like, and you're like sitting there realizing this is becoming a really good screenplay. Mm. Why is it becoming a really good screenplay? Because there were, you know, six conference calls and ten drafts, and now you're reading this thing going, man, this is really starting to become awesome so when you sit down and you listen to the moth podcast and you go oh my god you know i could never get on stage and just knock it out of the park like that well yeah you could it's like you know once once you're in the practice of going up at like you know story slams like the moth story slam or any other other shows that are going on there's a million shows now um around town trying stuff out like you know wherever you want to try stuff out once you get engaged in the process and once people start you know whether it's as simple as seeing what a crowd responds to mm. and doesn't respond to or working with a director for like a main stage show at the moth who's really gonna like point out the strengths of the story and maybe some stuff that's extraneous and we might not you know you may not want to use on stage or not you know once you engage in that whole process you become the thing that you were listening to and that's one thing I never allowed myself with music. You know, I always went, well, I'll just, I'll sit on this futon with this, you know, mm. acoustic guitar and play a couple riffs. Eh, that's decent. You know, this lyric is decent, but that's not a great song. And it's like, all right, well, if you really took the journey, it might become one. You know, it's like if you really demoed that song, then worked with a producer and then had a, a collaborator that could bring a strength to the chorus or to the verse, you know. 
you have to you have to allow your yourself to be small in the equation it's 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 funny that you say that though because you know sitting sitting in the cafe reading one of the reviews that you sent me of um uh of the rock on book and 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 in a sense i mean when you were working at a record label weren't you kind of on the extreme of that of i mean of um creativity by committee well I mean, there's, you know, it, I guess it becomes we're problematic about, if there's sort of a machine behind it, right? Yeah, we might be talking about two things. It's funny, I had this conversation with um, with a friend yesterday where it was like, you know, you get to a point with a lot of this stuff where, you, where you're like, maybe I should just do my own little yeah. thing, right? Like, if it's a movie, you go like, maybe I should just try and put some money together and, like, make my own movie. Or maybe... You know, if it's music, maybe I should just sit here and do my little thing. And and you totally can. Especially now. Especially now. And and you can completely escape anybody having any say in it mm-hmm. in anything that you do. You know, you can you're it's like the thing I always tell my friends who are like, Yeah, I'm thinking about writing a novel, you know, but I just can't I don't really know what's happening with book publishing and blah 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 blah, so I can't. It's like, mm-hmm. well no, you're free to write a novel. Yeah. You know, it's like do you want to escape create creativity by committee? Do you want to escape anybody having any say in things? Any kind of collaboration could be valid, could be cool, but it's a different ball game. You know, the second you go, well, I want to write a novel and have it come out around the world. It's like, all right, that's a different thing. Yeah. The second part of that sentence is kind of a different thing. You know, the second you go, I want to write a song, and I want that song to be a track that gets popular that I can play on the road. It's like, all right, well, now you're talking about a whole different... Well, there's, I mean, obviously there's, thing, there, there's middle ground. There's, there's, I want, I want to make something. I want somebody to hear it or yeah, I want yeah, somebody yeah. to read it, you Which know? is easier than ever. Yeah. The, uh, the thing I love about McSweeney's is just yeah. that, you know, it's still a place I can go just write a thousand words or 2000 words and nobody's really going to go we need to change 50 things over the course of two months. Like we're the weirdos now. <laughs> we're, the, we're the ones people are staring at <laughs> with the microphones. Uh, I, I love that about New York. <laughs> We're like, so sweet. Like three feet away from a person that two seconds ago, we were like, look at the insane person. And now, yeah, he definitely seems more normal than us sitting on this bench holding two microphones this, this is something I've, I've been thinking about a lot lately um, we, we, we were talking again before about the, um, the Humans of New York project which is a guy who travels around the city and does thousands of interviews and literally just picks interesting looking people maybe sometimes not even that interesting looking but just picks people out and random off the street asks them a few questions uh, builds these interviews around it and I I, I totally appreciate that that impulse i mean you know i was reading like i I remember you know the first time i read uh working by studs turkle and there's i mean there's something really appealing in that right is the idea of um getting getting these stories from people you know from non-famous people you know i mean that's you know obviously the vast majority of people that we hear in the media are are people who do that for a living um, and, and it seems like the, 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 the idea of the moth is to sort of 
straddle that a little bit. I mean, to get, um, in a sense, to get people in off the street, but um, people who are polished enough, you know, that um, that they can carry a story for, you know, 10, 15 minutes. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a, you know, it's a, it's a fine line, like the authenticity and all walks of life angles are really sort of you know those are important things to pay attention to I think in in all kinds of storytelling not just the moth but um, but yeah obviously you know there has to be some consideration of uh, is it a story and does it have a beginning a middle and an end and uh, are you are you is it a true story like do you clearly believe it and mm-hmm. you know want to tell it and you know I don't think those things are I think if you try to manipulate any of those things stuff goes south in in, in a hurry I, I'm wondering though you know if as 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 the moth becomes more popular as I mean there's you know now on NPR and through all these other channels there's you know similar um, similar programs programs of people of people telling their stories and I I'm wondering, um, he's enjoying himself. Can we go to a stoop? It's just nothing. God, I wish this was a video interview. He's so awesome. Um, <laughs> right now, this shot. You want to describe it? It just got weirder. No, I don't think I can, but I think I got to move. You can't, even behind you, you can't. Does uh, that make us... Uh, no, no, we can stop it. You want to stop it and, and move? Yeah, I'll take okay. a quick try and take a quick picture oh 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 that guy I mean, we could talk about that guy we were i mean maybe we should because we were talking around that guy for five minutes we were making reference to him well it was just this interesting thing if you're listening where we were we were sitting on this <laughs> hopefully you are we were we were sitting we were sitting on this bench over by this cafe in the neighborhood where i live and uh Brian was facing me, we were talking, and I noticed a very sudden and noticeable shift in his posture and energy, and I didn't know what was happening behind me. And uh, I just kept blathering on about myself, which, you know, it's a, it's a real winning attribute. That's why, and, that's um, why we're all here. And uh, I turned around, and there was this guy, <laughs> there was this sort of crazy dude who... Uh, his tongue was kind of going in and out of his mouth super fast. That was it the was, thing that um, freaked me out. It was doing at first. It was doing a, a circle. Did you see that? It was oh, kind yeah. of doing a little propeller thing, and then it was. Now I should mention. I mean, this guy didn't seem. I know it seems it probably sounds stupid and bourgeois, like making fun of. I don't think he seemed necessarily less fortunate uh, than us, as much as just like he probably loved doing acid when. That his time was to do tons of acid, and uh, and now he's just kind of a guy who goes around testing the air with his tongue. Yeah, and uh, doing a service, <laughs> a sort of service. Yeah. So, but it was just a little awkward. That's all. Um, not really awkward. <laughs> you know, as the moth becomes more popular, and as just storytelling shows in general become more popular, um, do we run a risk of? Um, I don't know if risk is the right word, but, you know, it's, it seems like, and all these are great stories, but, but you know, it seems like more and more a lot of people 
there's a very there's a very sort of there's a specific cadence. Um, there's a specific story arc. There's a lot of people who I don't know punchline is the right word, but people are sort of building up to a tag. And now and now there's 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 kind of there, there's a a, a for, there's a template almost for long form storytelling. Yeah, I mean, you know, I I think that's what starts to separate the really the really good moments on stage and the really good stories from like like in a way you can say that about anything once it gets popular right like whether it's a certain movement in music or whether it's stand-up comedy or um now storytelling only because that's kind of the newest thing that's been getting popular but yeah that there starts to be familiar rhythms there starts to be uh sort of familiar cadence and warm bemusement mm-hmm. or you know whatever trademarks start to kind of you know brand themselves and you know embroider themselves into i guess the collective consciousness this is exactly like that scene in annie hall where some subtitles appear under me that go <laughs> jesus i sound like fm radio <laughs> but uh marshall McLuhan <laughs> is going to come up and correct <laughs> you about yeah but you know he you know in short i don't know the fuck i was saying a minute ago brian but uh yeah things start to sound similar or things start to take a certain pattern but yeah. uh you're the things that separate good from great just like in stand-up comedy just like in music and just like in movies are are you know there are some familiar patterns and tropes and then there are people that just have rhythms that don't fit into that or they subvert yeah um those rhythms um and those are my favorite moments on stage yeah you know those are my still to this to this day when i host shows um if i'm not like telling a story in the show my favorite moment is when someone will forget at the moth this amazing thing happens someone will sit there and they'll and they'll like stammer for a second and be like and uh uh, like they can't figure out how to really express what they want to express, which to me is like always very refreshing because I think that's the trademark of honesty is that yeah. sometimes you're sitting there thinking, I don't really know how to say this in the correct way. So I'll but say it. most of the people have worked that out, right? Most of the people have worked that out, but, but a lot of people are just, you know, in the moment and they're moved and they, they, you know, can't figure out how they want to put it across or forgot the way that they're most comfortable saying it and there'll just be this moment where they're there and they're blanking out and then the entire place starts supporting them starts like applauding and saying like don't worry like just take a second just take a minute and that to me is always the most amazing difference between you know if you do that in a comedy club you're eviscerated you know if you if you are in the middle of stand-up you know, in the real comedy club, like the shows I do are joke. They're not even real shows because it's basically, you know, booking a night at a place and then, you know, a hundred friends, hundred fans yeah. of the moth and, yeah. and who know exactly what I do. And, and the three friends I have show up and they go, oh, that's what he does, you know, of course. So that it's a softball thing, but a real club, a comedian working and stands there and goes, oh, hang on a second. I'm kind of blanking out. It's like, oh my God. You know, that's what's always terrified me about that scene is like there's some sort of anger or like people are going to see that as a weakness and like bully you from the crowd. 
Um, and I, I just love the way at the moth, like the entire crowd would just sit there and say things like, don't worry about it or applaud. Take a minute. You'll remember it. But are, are those are, are those moments a little um, a little rarer than they used to be because of I, I mean, in, in, in a sense, um, well, I mean, in a sense, it seems like the, the moth is almost kind of just by 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 the nature of it being this um, this big thing and this this you know national international thing is almost kind of homogenized because um, everybody's hearing and everybody knows what a good story sounds like and I'm wondering if now that there's that standard um, are, are, are those moments of, of are those real moments becoming more rare well yes and no there probably are a handful of people trying to sort of telegraph what they think they're supposed to do you know on stage mm-hmm. but Keep in mind, you're listening, if you listen to the podcast or the Moth Radio Hour, you're listening to a really highly curated um, uh, best of the best, you know, like you said. So you're you're listening to everything working out perfectly. Come out to the slams, you know, I still host um, the second Tuesday of each month in New York and Soho. Come out to the slams and it's... It, you know, things go every way you could possibly imagine. Yeah. You know, things go sideways. Um, people get on stage that, you know, have a whole different idea of <laughs> what they should be doing on stage um, in this forum. You know, like things things get pretty, a lot less curated. I mean, has, has there, I mean, I'm sure that in the, you know, 14, 15 years there's, been at least a handful of moments you could point to where um, the stories, the storytellers, the whole experience of watching, listening to this person has been great by the nature of the fact that they don't know what's going on. By, yeah, those by, are my favorite. Yeah. Those are by all means my favorite. People just, you know, the best story you're going to tell is is the one that you can't wait to get home and tell to your roommate or to your girlfriend or your boyfriend or you can't wait to tell your family the next time you visit for the holidays or whatever and the, and the people that that approach storytelling that way to me are always my favorites you know it's it's just a really simple simple art form you know it's not it's it's fun it's not really an art form it's just it's a human habit that's why it's so hugely popular is that people have been doing it since the dawn of time you know it's what we do we my parents you know i had this moment where i realized my dad has repeated a lot of the same stories to me Mm. throughout his life and as he gets older and i've been repeating the same stories to my girlfriend for god knows how long and to my folks for how long and all that stuff and it occurred to me that that's what we do like that's how we record ourselves being here you know we're just here for a minute and we want to kind of we want to write our name on the wall, say we were here, and then move on to whatever's next after this life, you know? Well, so, so take me through the process. I mean, your, your own personal process a little bit. Because, again, you know, like you said, we're all storytellers in some sense. But the art of, you know, me sitting down next to you at a bar and telling you a story, again, is very different than me standing in front of an audience and giving, um, you know, giving... 15 minutes so so take me through the process of um i mean how 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 a story become becomes a moth story for you i mean for me i just i i naturally find the thing that i've been talking about like this story that's on the 
on the air right now on the Moth Radio Hour, the thing where I talk about going to Indonesia yeah. on a magazine assignment and going after these snakes with this National Geographic crew. Um, you know, I just found that that was one of those things that I was telling a lot of friends about or I couldn't quite believe happened, you know. It happened years ago, and I just realized it's one of those things that is never going to happen again in my life, and it's probably going to be forgotten the second, you know, I'm gone from the planet. And um, and I found myself kind of telling friends about mm-hmm. it. Like, I can't believe I was I was in this cave with this huge... This is crazy. You know, like, it, it's almost like I just came to and realized, oh, my God, do you know what I I did a few years ago? <laughs> and and you know, so I started... Yeah. I find that I that it's, it's something I'm repeating to friends a lot. So I'm like, oh, man, that's something for some reason I want to record or I want to... I want to kind of have record of having happened while was he- while I was here on the planet, you know, and uh, so then I I might you know just pitch it like there's a great pitch line on the website where you can just pitch a two minute version of yeah. your story, and um, you know I think I I just kind of ran it by Maggie and by Catherine. I think I shot them just a quick email that I keep talking about this thing and and for a while there at every party I had those pictures on my phone and. Everyone was getting sick of seeing me in jungles and caves. I was like, so, you know, then you start working on it together. You know, you know, I have no idea how the directors at the Moth do what they do, but it's, it's amazing and it's talented and, 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 uh, they can somehow take me sort of blathering on in a state of confusion Mm. about something that I did or happened in my life and go, well, Here's what, here's what I think you're trying to say. Oh, it's interesting. So, you know, so they're really, I mean, they really are coaching you on that and, and turning it into a, mo- a moth story. Well, you know, yeah, they're really, they're really helping you shape that into what works and what doesn't. And just as a person, when you're telling a first-person account of something that happened to you, you know, you have these defense mechanisms that are going to keep you from certain truths. You have these you know ego situations that are going to keep you from certain truths or fear i mean i'm i have an emotional range of like you know my emotional range is like i like the way this cake tastes mm. or that movie's not funny you know those are people that that you know the directors at the moth will go well how did you how did you feel when you realized this is the one time you're probably ever going to do this. Mm. You're never going to do it again, you know. And yeah. but like they'll ask you these questions, which always basically come down to, what was the truth about how you were feeling inside, you know? And if you try to give them a cool answer, then they'll just go, oh, "That was a great cool answer." How did you really feel, you know? And then and they'll they'll they just I can't even put it into words, but they'll just work with you to get down to what the real core of the story is. That sounds so close to a therapy session where literally somebody's listening to you and asking you how you feel about things. Well, the moth for me has been an amazing combination of stand-up comedy, therapy, and rehab. You know, that's been my approach to it anyway. Rehab. <clears throat> well, it's, yeah, it's kind of this, uh, it's kind of this, this, sharing with people what you've been through and mm. and in some cases uh you know have someone ask you what it really meant to you yeah 
rehab in the, in almost the um, like the AA sense. Kinda, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, for me, well, the the way you're describing the, the this this snake story, well, you know, like on on the face of it, it's it's a really interesting story. I mean, there's no there's no question about that. You know, all of the things that you did, all of the things that you happen that happened to you. Um, that's a series of interesting things, and I, I can see how you can just go to a party and tell that story, and it would be an interesting story without any sort of coaching involved, right? Because you just have you've never well you've never seen me at a party. Have not you, you specific, specifically. Like, I don't know. He just keeps repeating the phrase "cave snake frightened," and then he <laughs> goes back over to the buffet area and he gets more food and he eats that, and then he comes back and shows me a picture on his phone, and then when I ask him where he went, he just he sort of tries to make a joke about it and get out of it. Yeah. Now, if I tell you to at a party, yeah. I mean, honestly, how does that story come off at a party? Like I walk up to you and go, Brian, what's up? Oh my god, dude! I went on this. I did this fucking assignment thing, this writing thing. I had to do this magazine thing. This um, because I told you about the thing I'm doing, right? Did I tell you about the thing I'm writing? Yeah. And then, like you know, eight minutes later, I go. So when did this? Fuck- I went in a cave, dude. Dude, it was a cave, and there was a giant twenty-two foot snake in it. You know, and then you're like. Wait, back up. You know, that's yeah. my friends. Every time I go to lunch and, t- and they go, what have you been doing? And I try to tell them something that's happened recently. They're like, okay, wait, back up. Your what problem now? is the, you the were linear in? narrative. Yeah. yeah. Well, my problem is... <laughs> Brian, I have so many more problems than that. But <laughs> no, but, but I, I, I guess what I was getting at is, um, you know, again, there are, there are, there are these things that on, on, on their face are, are interesting stories that, you know, I, I think if you, if you literally just walked up to me and said um i last week i was in a cave with a 28 foot python that's interesting i think that's interesting um it's a headline yeah really a story no no that's that's fair but um i guess what i'm getting at is uh you know it, it seems it seems to me what the job of the you know these people that you're pitching it to what part of their job is beyond just listening and beyond getting you to um sort of uh, unravel things a little bit is is figuring out what the what the hook is you know and and maybe 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 the tw- you know while in the face of it the 28 foot python seems like the most interesting thing i mean maybe that's actually not maybe that's not the thesis it's not you're right yeah and that is that is a big part of of what of what those directors do you know is you you come to the table thinking that the entire story is that you were in a cave yeah. with a huge snake and you can't believe it and dude isn't that crazy and that's like i said that's just a text to a friend hmm. you know it in it, for me i i would go no that's it that's the whole thing yeah. <laughs> that's the interesting part and that's the yeah that's it that's the whole story man but it you know it's sort of like going you know, it's like sort of going, hey, I have an idea for a, a, a movie where a guy wakes up and it's the same day every day. And mm-hmm. It's Groundhog Day. And wouldn't that be cool? And it's like, sure. That's a that's an idea. That's a riff. I don't know if it's a story. No, it sounds like the most boring movie. And at <laughs> some point, movies. somebody goes, what's really happening here? And let's figure it out. And, and I think there's something bigger going on underneath yeah. this idea. And it becomes an amazing story you know an amazing journey 
for someone. Now, you know, that's not me mentioning a story about going into the jungle and encountering a lot of snakes and stuff uh, as a freelance writer in the same breath as Groundhog Day, as much as it's just saying what we usually think is the story. It usually takes someone uh, outside of us to really point out what we're saying here. You know, I'm, I'm always the last guy to know what I'm going through. I don't know about you, Mm. but I'm always the last to know. Everybody's happy to tell me three years later, once I realize it and go, you know what was happening? You know what I was going through that year? And they're like, yeah, seriously, you just found that out. Cause we all knew it, you know, from the word go. So what, what is, you know, we, we keep using this example because it's, it's, it's fresh, uh, obviously, but what is the, what's the point of the snake story? If not the really big snake. The point of the snake story, the thing I learned about working on that story was that, uh, God, you know, actually, honestly, if it wasn't for the moth, you know, my therapist died. You know, my last session of therapy that I went to, I found my therapist dead, which is something I talked about on stage at the moth. But since then, I think the moth has been the only way I've learned what the hell I'm going through and dealing with is working on stories with those those folks. So, really, it turns out what was going on, if not a giant snake in a cave in a jungle, it was the fact that at that point in my life I was really struggling with this thing about being in the moment. Mm. I kept picking that phrase out of conversations yeah. that I would overhear in cafes and stuff, people talking about being in the moment, and I always had this this fear of like oh shit, I'm wasting my entire life. I don't think I'm ever in the moment. Like, I may never be in the moment. I think I'm always, like, obsessing about mundane stuff and struggling with everyday things and setting up stuff to go on the road or to to try and set aside time to write or whatever. And um, maybe I'm never in the moment. So I started doing all these wild things. That assignment was one of them. Another yeah. one was that I went down to... Um, Honduras on really short notice in the middle of the night and uh, met this crazy dude that has a homemade submarine and uh, went like uh, a thousand feet down in the ocean off the coast of Honduras with this guy and um, you know that kind of kicked off with me like literally waking up in a in a cab after having dozed off on a long drive from the airport in Honduras to being surrounded at a roadblock by dudes with machine guns convinced that this cab I was in was full of cocaine. So I, really the essence of that period of my life was I was convinced I wasn't living because I wasn't doing crazy things. And, and I thought that was what was being in the moment was. And I started doing all these crazy things, uh, magazine writing being the kind of entree to those crazy things. And and there were some other crazy things, too, that weren't part of that work. But um, what I really found out was that I like being in a completely different moment. I like my life. You know, I have a good life in New York, and I, I like to be in my apartment, basically, watching movies I love, writing, uh, dicking around on Twitter. And uh, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> it took me it took me doing a lot of crazy stuff to realize I don't that doesn't make me feel any more alive, man. Like walking through a canyon full of cobras just makes me feel like 
holy shit, there's a lot of cobras and stuff in this canyon. I don't really, <laughs> you know, I could, wow, really go for not sort of being here at the moment. I mean, this is beautiful and I love it, but, uh, you know, it's not like this is making me feel like suddenly my life has kicked into gear. There are, there are, again, <laughs> there, there are, there's a middle ground between. Probably. I mean, I'm a. <laughs> <laughs> between you know. sitting on your couch reading Twitter. And <laughs> there's being... a reason I only drink black coffee. Mm. Yes, there's probably some middle ground to be explored between uh, going down in homemade submarines in Honduras or marching into caves and jungles to catch snakes with herpetologists um, versus sitting on the couch checking my Twitter account. Probably some middle ground in there. You're right. I'll start exploring some of that as well. You know, I, th- I think maybe I think some local fishing trips, getting up on stage, you know, touring, touring the country. Yeah. Um, that, that it's, you know, it's not quite a snake, but there's, it's, it's a lot of people. That's still a lot of people's worst fear. That is probably actually the moment that I feel most, most like actually engaged in my life is, is the like 20 minutes or so before going on, yeah. you know? That's probably the really being in the moment for me, which is good news because you know there's no poisonous snakes usually yeah. involved in that. Was that you know? I mean, it sounds like you were making a very conscious effort to do this. You know, this this, this like almost like Buddhist idea of living in the moment. Um, but in retrospect, was it was it hard to? I guess reform that connection between those two things. Again, being 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 that that this was sort of the hook of the story. This was the beginning of the story and and the end of the story. This is what tied it all together. This idea of being in the moment. But when you're telling the story, the the first time off stage, trying to convince somebody that's a good story, you're not telling it as the I'm trying to be in the moment story, right? No, those are those are really the things that, you know, I'll tell that story like an accident victim recalling blurry details of something that happened, you know, something that he thought he'd try that might have, you know, gone sideways or not. But no, I don't. I don't. First of all, I'm never convinced. I'm never trying to convince anybody I have a story because I'm always convinced I don't have a story. Kind of like it amazes me that I can pull one out. But. Um, um, no, it takes somebody saying, why did you do that? Something as simple as that, you know, it takes Maggie or someone going, what were you thinking? Why did you do that? And then I usually have a fairly glib answer. Like, I don't know. I needed cash. You know, it was a good assignment. And it's like, all right, you know, there are other ways to make money. yeah. Yeah. So tell me why you really, what were you going through that in that period that that seemed like a good idea? So you know, that's how that stuff comes about. I so, think they, so, they, they. I I tend to lie to myself. I lie when I don't even need to. You know, I I lie to myself about how I feel about the weather half the time. You know, it's like I'm so caught up in trying to trying to direct how I feel or direct what I'm seeing and what it means mm. that uh, it it takes somebody basically just cutting through the bullshit and saying were you scared you know 
stand by for the first three stupid glib answers. Yeah. You know, and then, like, one of the best things that, that uh, the moth ever asks me when I get to a weird point in the story that's not working is, so what's the truth about what really happened and what you felt like? <laughs> and it's like, oh, the truth? Not the thing that I think is funny about it? Or... Well, you know, like it's yeah. this moment where it's like, oh, okay, we're just going to, what's the truth? And then that's usually, bam, right there, the key to things, you know? And I don't know why I can never... The easiest, most obvious questions in the world. Why yeah. did you do it? <laughs> the, the, and it's a very simple question, but it's not easy, as the saying goes. And let, let, let's, um, let, let's end on this. Uh, let's, you know, let's sort of go back to the beginning again. Um, if if you never believe you have a story, um, I mean, what what? Um, you know, I mean, obviously, you know, you found this community that you thought was really interesting. You saw people doing something that you you wanted to do, but I, I, I guess I guess what I'm what I'm not quite grasping is how you make that that step from being somebody who thinks that they never have a story to that first time you step up on stage and tell a story. You know, I've always, I always think the irony of comedy or storytelling or any of that stuff is the, is it's always amazing to me that anyone gets up there and do it because any sane person realizes that's not a normal thing to want to do. You know, for me, I just got to a point to where, um, I was I was just at a point where I had nothing. I mean, literally that point in my life was like none of my thinking has gotten me anywhere. Mm. All of my best plans have landed me alone in a in an apartment without furniture. Without furniture and without a girl, so I'm sure if I can try something new here. You know, it was like I had to push myself. When I was going to that first that first moth thing, I remember that that first going to the think going down to the office to like meet someone or might have been going to the show that night at any rate i remember leaving my apartment on bleaker street back then walking down sixth i got to canal street and i thought what am i doing this is stupid i can't do this this has no who do i think i am this is dumb this is you know this idea that i think i can be like these people is dumb in other words and i can't do this and the don't walk sign was was like it said walk and then i stood there long enough going no you know what i'm going home this is stupid it's stupid that i'm gonna try to do this you know i think the thing is great what was i thinking and then it started blinking don't walk you know like you have x amount of seconds i turned around i started walking back to my apartment and then I just had this, I just kind of had this moment where I was like, your way doesn't work. <laughs> you know, you know where you're going back to right now? And I stopped, turned around, I looked, that thing was, started blinking faster, like it's going to turn solid. And I just sprinted across Canal Street. And I was like, well, I'm on the other side of the street now. I may as well walk in the door. You needed a, you needed a literal countdown. I think I did. And just that moment where I, you know, I, I've quit all this stuff a thousand times. I've quit writing books a thousand times. I've quit going on stage a thousand times. I've quit pretty much 
anything that I do a thousand times and no one's known it, you know, because half the time I open up a document, I look at it and go, oh, what was I thinking? Me writing a book? How's that ever going to happen? Close the document, go into the kitchen, eat, and then go, (laughs) you know, I don't, there's nothing else you seem to want to (laughs) do. You may as well go right back there and open the document and at least try. Yeah. The, the, key, the key to success, though, is being able to get to a point where you can do those things without having those movie moments, you know, without having those, those really kind of like, what do they call what, what's the What's the trope? Pathetic fallacy, like the, um, the literal manifestation of the internal. Yeah. Well, they've definitely gotten a lot less dramatic for me there are no longer signs that say walk don't walk you know it's just like i said those moments where i go oh man i I am not gonna you know i'm not gonna finish this book i'm not gonna finish you know what am i thinking close the computer go in the kitchen make lunch and then just have that moment of like really what's your what's your big go-to plan because whenever i get to those points where i go what was i thinking who do i think i am this is over. I am done. I'm telling everybody, thanks, but sorry, later on. You know, um, anytime I have that moment, my best plan is, now what? You know, my best plan is like, now, well, now I'll, now I'll sit here. I'll sit over here on this piece of furniture where there's not a computer. What? The difference? You have furniture now. That is that is the arc of that story. I now have a nice apartment with plenty of furniture in it. Not bad for 16 years. A couch. So that was a fun one, right? That was uh, Dan Kennedy. He's the host of the Moth Podcast. Uh, he's written a couple books. His latest is American Spirit, a novel. He's written for McSweeney's. Um, as he as he mentioned on a recent Moth Podcast, he once flew to Indonesia to hang out with a nine-foot python in a cave. Uh, he, he, he's he's out there living his life. So thank you so much to Dan for, for taking a, a break from your, your busy snake meeting schedule to, to sit down with me and chat for, man, what, like an hour and a half or so uh, in, uh, in, in the West Village um, and encounter some of the exciting natives. Um, I, I'm not sure if this made it into the final edit, but that the interview actually got uh, got cut into because there was a... Um, uh, so... <laughs> So this, been, this has actually been happening to me a lot. I, 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 I did another interview this week, which will probably go up in about, about a month or so. Um, who it is is not relevant. So no spoilers there. But um, I, I have this habit of, I don't want to call it a habit because I don't think it's really, it's my fault so much. Well, maybe it's my fault. I should probably be, be only focusing on the person that I'm speaking to. But, you know, it's New York City. A lot of, a lot of things happen around us. So uh, Dan and I are, are sitting outside of a coffee shop, and um, I just like I watch I watch this clearly just not all their gentlemen kind of walk our way. Um, you know, I'm doing my best to hold up my 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 only conversation while while this is happening, trying not to be too distracted, um, but also like you know I, I I can't I can't not see what's unfolding. Um, so kind of a I don't know, it's crazy. Can we still say that we're crazy? Kind of a crazy guy uh, walking towards us, um, sits down, and then for, I don't know, a good 10 minutes, it's just doing weird 
like lizard-like things with his 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 tongue in the air, and, and finally, finally, uh, finally, Dan sees how completely unnerved I am. We, we we had to pause the conversation and move move uh, move a few blocks away because I just I couldn't take it anymore. So thank you for being a trooper, Dan. Um, you can check well, you can check him out on the internet. Uh, check, go check him out on the Moth Podcast, and then your 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 paper trail to more Dan Kennedy begin there uh thanks to him thanks to brian as always for editing this thing together uh thanks to, uh, to mark and everybody else at the lovely boing boing podcast network so many good podcasts over there um you can check that out through through boing boing.net so you can also go to itunes there's a terrific page up there and while you're on itunes why not take the chance to, to rate our show it means it means a lot to us uh, I, I know we're not ever going to get to moth levels but you know maybe triple digits someday of, of ratings, five stars. I'm just that's just a recommended star rating. Um, you, I was gonna say you can give as many stars as you want, but no, just give five. Um, if you, honestly, honestly, like if you've made it this far into the podcast that you're listening to me speak right now, I think um, I think you deserve five stars for for hanging out, and I think I, I deserve five stars for um, hitting record and stop on on my my task cam recorder uh thanks uh what what else what else do i gotta talk oh uh tumblr i do this every week and i can't remember all of my things that i need to plug uh it's rylcast.tumblr.com you can follow us over there you're gonna get the show uh, hours if not days before you get it over at at, uh, boing boing um and uh the email address that's rylcast at gmail.com if you got any feedback or anything else uh thank you so much for joining us we will back uh just about this time next week with another episode of rayl 